A recent headline in the Jerusalem Post asked a very provocative question. If the Messiah came today, would people really believe it? The article was actually a review of a new book and asked the question if anyone in the world today or in the future would be able to prove that he is actually the Messiah. Have you ever wondered about that? Or do you believe, like I do, that the coming of the Messiah will be, in fact, the return of Jesus? We know this as the second coming, and it will be cataclysmic. Every eye will behold him, and there'll be no doubts whatsoever as to his identity, power, and glory. But meanwhile, the birth pains of Messiah, including simultaneous biblical-style plagues going on right now on the earth, these all give fair warning that the return of Jesus is very near. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. How would you answer the newspaper headline, If the Messiah Came Today, Would People Really Believe It? The feature article was actually a review of a new book called The Messiah Chronicles. Have you seen the signs? And the article speculated if anyone in the world today or in the future would actually be able to prove that he's the Messiah. The question reveals differences between Jewish and Christian expectations and concepts of Messiah. Generally speaking, Jewish people are expecting Messiah to be a mortal man, whereas Bible-believing Christians look for Jesus to appear a second time and that when he does set his feet once again on planet Earth, it will be a totally earth-shadowing cataclysmic event. At that time, whether people had believed in him or not, his identity, his authority and power will be unquestionable. Jesus will manifest his risen glory and his own Jewish nation will examine his wounds as prophesied in Zechariah 13.6. And that verse asks prophetically, what are these wounds in your hands? Then he will lovingly answer, without any condemnation, but in his forgiving nature, those wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. You see, the one with the wounded scars in his hands, feet, and side is Messiah, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. He was wounded for our sins. In the house of his friends, he suffered for the whole world. In his risen glory, Jesus still continues to bear the marks of our sin. The word hand in Hebrew also includes the arms. Therefore, his glorified wrists still display the holes or scars left by the nails. It's often said by theologians that the only man-made thing in heaven are the scars of Jesus. Throughout eternity, these scars will remind us of God's love. And the gospel in the Hebrew scriptures in Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
So the body of the real Messiah will have all five major wounds from his crucifixion. Jesus knew that many pretenders would come in his name and try to deceive many. And so our discernment should be turned up at red alert maximum capacity. But whether or not Jesus will be recognized as Messiah when he returns, there's no question as far as this Bible is concerned. His power will be fully unveiled and demonstrated. Well, Dr. David Flusser of Blessed Memory was a professor of early Christianity and Judaism at the University of Jerusalem. He used to dare to say, I don't think many Jews would object if the Messiah, when he came again, was the Jew Jesus. Many other open-minded Jewish and Israeli friends have said to me that when the Messiah comes, they'll ask him if this is his first or his second appearance. I always appreciate hearing that, but if truth be known, there will be no question as to his identity, because the second time around, Jesus is not returning as the Lamb of God, but he will return as the roaring lion of Judah. His overpowering re-entry is clearly foretold in Bible prophecy. Now, eschatologists are people who study the end times in Bible prophecy, and it's fascinating that eschatologists are talking about the fact that many of the biblical plagues of the book of Exodus will be repeated in the end times preceding Messiah or preceding what Christians call the second coming. In fact, many of the 10 plagues of Egypt mentioned in the Exodus are reappearing in a prophetic manner. Each year at our Exploits Ministry Passover Seder Meals, we recount the 10 plagues that were sent by God to judge the pagan gods of Egypt and to demand that King Pharaoh release the Israelites from slavery. Now, God said in Exodus chapter 7, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. And we're living in a parallel time. In the last days, God declares in Ezekiel 39 that his judgments will also bring great glory to his name. God says, I will send fire against those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they will know that I am the Lord. So I'm going to make my holy name known among my people Israel, and I will no longer allow my name to be profaned. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Well, did you know that Jewish sources predict that all the Bible plagues will reappear in the final redemption, but in more powerful forms? The repeat of the Egyptian plagues was, in fact, prophesied in the Hebrew Bible. In Micah 7.15, the Lord says, I will do mighty miracles like those I did when I rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. Commenting on that verse, a 13th century Jewish sage wrote, In Egypt, God used only part of his strength, but when the final redemption comes, God will show much more of his power. Well, that rabbi may not have had access to the book of Revelation in the New Testament. However, the book of Revelation in the back of this book in the back of this Bible does predict that biblical style plagues will be repeated to judge the world 
at the time of the final redemption, and these plagues will indeed be much more intense and worldwide than the regional plagues of the Exodus. That's why the future period known as the Great Tribulation is nothing to trifle with, and it will be no time for a believer to want to stick around because the blessed hope of the Lord's sudden appearing, known as the rapture, is promised to all who pray to be counted worthy to escape the horrors coming upon the earth. By the way, as I said before, the troublesome word rapture is not in English Bibles. However, it's found in the Latin Bible, and the doctrine is certainly contained in every Bible. Now, let's look at the plagues in the book of Exodus and their parallel passages in the future in the book of Revelation. If you recall, plague number one was blood. In Exodus chapter 7, Moses and his brother Aaron did as the Lord had commanded, and they struck the Nile River in the sight of King Pharaoh and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants. And what happened? All the water in the Nile was turned to blood. Parallel plagues in the New Testament in the book of Revelation include Revelation 8, 8, where it's recorded that something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea turned to blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Also over in Revelation 11, verse 6, God's two witnesses, whom many Bible scholars believe will be Moses and Elijah, will be given supernatural power when they visit the earth. They will be able to shut the sky so that no rain will fall during the days of their prophecy, and they will demonstrate their power to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. Furthermore, we see here in Revelation 16, there is an awesome vision of an angel pouring out his bowl into the sea, and it becomes blood and every living thing in the sea dies. Then another angel pours out his bowl into the rivers and springs, and they become blood. And then the angel of the waters says, Righteous are you, O Holy One, who was, who is, because you have brought these judgments, for they have spilled the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And in the Hebrew scriptures, in Joel chapter 2, verses 30 to 31, it's also prophesied wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Well, what was the second plague in Egypt? Frogs. In Exodus 8, 6, Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And back to the future in Revelation chapter 16, the apostle John prophesied about three unclean spirits that look like frogs. These are demonic spirits that perform signs and go out to all the kings of the earth to assemble them for battle on the great day of the Lord. Plague number three in Egypt was lice. In Exodus 8, 17, Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and he smote the dust of the earth. And lice came upon man and upon beast. 
The dust of the earth became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And this plague, number three, was a plague of insects. And it was followed in Exodus chapter 8 by plague number four, described in Hebrew as swarms. Most English translations render the plague as swarms of flies. Some versions say swarms of insects or various flies, gnats, mosquitoes. But some translations say swarms of beasts. So we don't really know what the swarms were, but they covered all of the land. And God said to Pharaoh, For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms on you, on your servants and into your houses, and also covering the ground. Some scholars see a parallel plague in Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, where John the divine wrote, I looked and behold an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine and with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So whether this plague is wild beasts or swarms of insects, both are, of course, dangerous. Insects bear many threats to humans and our crops. But now in these days of high tech, the American government's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, has announced an insect allies program. Scientists believe that implanting viruses and bugs will give plants protective benefits to ensure food security in the event of a major threat. But other scientists are wary of insects becoming a new class of biological weapon. That's ominous. Now, the fifth plague of Egypt was pestilence, which, of course, we've been hearing a lot about with various viruses. In Exodus chapter 9, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse, behold, the hand of the Lord will send a very severe pestilence on your livestock in the field, on your horses, on donkeys, on camels, on herds, and on flocks. And the parallel is Revelation 6, 8, which mentions the word pestilence. Also, Jesus himself prophesied about pestilences in the last days in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, he said, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Egypt plague number six was festering boils. In Exodus 9.10, Moses took ashes from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. And then Moses threw the ashes toward the sky, and it became boils, breaking out with sores on both man and beast. And the parallel plague in Revelation is chapter 16, verse 2. An angel pours out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had taken the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. Terrible warning. Plague number seven, hail and fire. In Exodus chapter nine, now the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt. 
So Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. Fire flashed continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as had not been seen in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Well, there's a parallel again in Revelation chapter 8 in the future. It says, when the first angel blew his trumpet, hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down to the earth and a third of the earth, a third of the trees and a third of the green plants were all burned. Well, hail is something that most of us have probably seen in our lifetimes. It's a naturally occurring weather condition, but fire and ice falling at the same time is definitely supernatural. Think of what's already been happening this year. Horrifying wildfires in California and Australia have already destroyed millions of acres of land and homes. An estimated 1 billion animals were also killed and some endangered species may be driven to extinction. The fires in Australia began as the vast wilderness region was hard pressed by a drought. While the fires continue to burn in the southeast, the capital city of Canberra, as well as the city of Melbourne and other areas were hit by hailstorms, raining down sometimes golf ball sized chunks of ice. As if one plague of extremes was not enough, a wide cloud of red dust plunged whole swathes of the countryside into darkness. Well, in the Hebrew scriptures, Job 38.22 speaks poetically of God having storehouses of hail, which he has reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. Egyptian plague number eight was locusts. Exodus chapter 10 records, For if ye refuse to let my people go, Behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped from the hail plague, and they will eat every tree of the field. And so locusts invaded all the land of Egypt in a thick mass. There's a parallel locust plague in Revelation chapter 9 which says, then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. These are not normal locusts. Some have seen them as some kind of drone or helicopter. The prophet Joel also envisioned this end time locust-like army of the Lord. Well, recently a wave of locusts swept through East Africa, but the wave currently that locusts are feasting on is the leftovers of a former plague. And now it's estimated to be 20 times larger and is described as the worst in 70 years. This wave of locusts very much resembles the biblical plague in this respect, coming as part of a wave of catastrophes that left the land of Egypt bereft of any food. The Bible says the locusts covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants and the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant, throughout all of Egypt. Presently, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization called the recent locust outbreak an unprecedented threat to food security and livelihoods. Furthermore, recently the UN warned of widespread famines of biblical proportions 
The chief of the UN's Food Relief Agency stated that we only have a small window to act before hundreds of millions potentially starve. David Beasley, executive director of the World Food Program, claimed that over one million persons are on the brink of starvation. Beasley told the Guardian newspaper in an interview that we're not talking about people going to bed hungry. We're talking about extreme conditions, emergency status, people literally marching to the brink of starvation. And if we don't get food to the people, they will die. He said this is a real humanitarian and food catastrophe. But the coronavirus crisis, which blindsided the world, has taken us to uncharted territory, according to Beasley. Plague number nine was terrifying darkness over the land. In Exodus chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. And back to the future, the parallel plague in Revelation is in chapter 16. It says, then a fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of pain and sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. Egyptian plague number 10, the last one, was the most severe and terrible. The death of the firstborn. In Exodus chapter 11, Moses announced, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I am going into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And of course, Bible believers know the rest of the story, that protection from the firstborn plague came by painting the doorposts and lentils of their homes with the blood of a lamb. That was the first Passover night. There was no other prescription for survival. The blood covering was a picture of the atonement provided by Jesus, the Lamb of God. You see, Jesus was also God's only begotten Son, who died because of our sin in order to give the gift of eternal life to all who will believe on His name. Well, according to an article by Breaking Israel News, the death of the firstborn plague is closely connected to the coronavirus. This is because Passover night is the time of the Seder ritual, which brings together friends and family. But since the exodus from Egypt, this night has always been a festive time to be surrounded by loved ones until this year. The Israeli government ordered a strict lockdown. Most families had a somber holiday rather than a festive one with empty seats where the elders, the most vulnerable to the disease, normally sat. This year, the Seder more closely resembled the unique Seder that was performed in Egypt the night before the Israelites left. In Egypt, after keeping a lamb in their homes for two weeks, the Jews slaughtered the lamb, painted their doorposts with the blood, roasted and ate the lamb. The angel of death was roaming the streets of Egypt that night, killing all the firstborn. But the blood of the doorpost was a sign that kept death away. This year, like that very first somber Egyptian Seder, Jews performed the Seder ritual and tightly shut homes while the angel of death loomed outside. The Breaking Israel News article mentioned a scholar of Jewish literature, Shmuel Trester, 
who noted some startling aspects of the coronavirus that connected to the plague in Egypt. He noted that China had instituted a cruel one-child policy from 1980 until 2015, and to enforce birth limits, provincial governments required the use of contraception, sterilizations, and abortions to ensure compliance, and they also imposed enormous fines for violations. According to China's government, 400 million births were prevented. Trister said that this cruel policy was similar to the edict that Pharaoh had imposed on the Jewish slaves in Egypt by throwing their male babies into the Nile. It was essentially a spiritual as well as a physical attack. Pharaoh was trying to prevent the Jews from performing the first commandment given to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. That evil deed by Pharaoh was repaid measure for measure in the final plague that killed the firstborn Egyptians. And in China today, anyone over the age of five was born during the one-child policy. They are, by necessity, the first and only born. So these are solemn days of contemplation, prayer, and aggressive spiritual warfare. And there is a parallel plague in Revelation chapter 19, which includes the death of the armies that war against God and his Messiah. But in closing, it's important, I believe, to revisit the wounds of Jesus. Remember I mentioned Zechariah 13, 6? It prophesies that Messiah will say he was wounded in the house of his friends. You see, Jesus was the friend to sinners. When Jesus was crucified, he prayed for forgiveness for all his torturers. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus viewed the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, his own followers, and the mob, all of them, as people whom he loved and gave his life for. He loved those who wounded and killed him, and he wants to save all who will believe in his atonement. The final sacrifice for sins has been provided freely, voluntarily by Jesus on the cross, and there's no other sacrifice for sin. So if you turn your back on Jesus, God forbid, he said, you will die in your sins. I've been saying during this coronavirus that it's dangerous to die in the excrement of your own sins because to die without Jesus, the world's only savior, would be like living in an epidemic without any protection, no immunity, no face mask, no gloves, no hand sanitizer, no vaccine but we desperately need the freely provided covering of the precious blood of Jesus, God's antidote, God's prescription over the doorposts of our hearts. There's no shortage of his mercy. His redemption is free, paid in full at the cross because the Bible says we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb of God who was without blemish, or defect. And I rejoice also that the good news of the gospel includes healing. The light of his divine presence radiates healing. And Psalm 107 verse 20, an important verse, declares that he sends his word and heals us and delivers us from our destructions. The same Jesus who healed all who came to him is alive today and offers us both pardon and healing from all our sins and torments. Amen.
In the meantime, I want you to feel free to contact me on the social media or at our website, exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha, and Shalom.